Thank you, Jim, for correcting that. Uh, Philippians chapter 3. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. I'm going to read verses 7 through 14. I'm pretty sure of that. Philippians chapter 3, beginning of verse 7. Paul says, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ, and be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know Him, and the power of His resurrection, and the fellowship of His sufferings, being made conformable unto His death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if, after, if that I may apprehend, that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. May God bless His Word. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we thank You for Your goodness to us. And we're so grateful for your provision and for your blessing. We're so very grateful for our Savior. And I want to just lift up uh, some of our church family members. Lord, I, I thank you for Peg Willie. I pray that you just encourage her heart and heal her or sustain her. Um, Lord, I pray that she would sense your presence as she has some real physical challenges. I pray for Joanne Tomkowitz that you would lift her up and encourage her heart and sustain her and Ed, give him uh, extra grace and strength as he serves his, his beloved. Uh, Lord, I pray for, for Mr. Kerr with his health, that you just give him good days as well and help him, especially with the water gain and the pills that he's taking, that that would go well. Also for, um, for John Anderson for that, Father, we just commit these folks to you. For Ed Carpenter, we just ask that you touch the bodies of these dear folks and uh, give them relief to the pain or any dif- discomfort. And uh, thank you, Lord. Thank you for these precious saints. And we ask your blessing on our night tonight and on the Word. In Jesus' precious name, amen. All right, let's turn our Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. You say, wait a minute, aren't we in the book of Jeremiah? I'm glad you noticed. Uh, We uh, normally are going through the book of Jeremiah in the evening services. But this morning, um, I did a message that I knew would, would take two parts, and I really didn't want to, for continuity's sake, I didn't want to wait a whole week uh, to uh, finish it. Um, so tonight, I'm finishing, tonight's part two of this morning, and we are looking at the text. Primarily, we're looking at Philippians chapter 3 and verse 13. We looked at the context this morning, and the title of the message this morning and tonight is How to Forget. And you remember in verse 13, Paul said, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. And then this is the phrase that the Lord's been working on me and, and, and it's been a blessing to me. Uh, and it, it's gotten deeper and deeper when he, said, when he says, This one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things 
which are before. Well, what did Paul mean by that? When Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind. I believe it's critical. And I believe that God would, would that same challenge is ours. We need to forget those things which are behind. Now, we looked at that this morning, and we, we saw what it could be. I mean, in chapter 3 alone, Paul's talking about, uh, in the early part of chapter 3, he's talking about the things he used to boast in, the things that uh, you know, he prided himself in, that he was, you know, obviously he was going to boast when he got before God. If God said, why, are you, why should I let you into heaven? He was already, he said, I was a, a Pharisee, the Pharisee, uh, you know, concerning the law. I mean, he just listed all his accomplishments as a religious Jew and his religiosity. And then when he came to know Christ, he cast all that aside and he came to the, he's going to come to God empty handed because it's not what you bring before to God, it's what you take from him. And so when Paul says, forgetting those things behind, it didn't, wasn't going back that far. The context, uh, in fact, we'll, we'll, we'll look at it a, a little more again tonight. The context is clearly talking about the race. It's all the, the wording he uses. He's talking about a race. And the race is his Christian life. So from the time he became a believer, his walk with the Lord is, is pictured as a race. And, and ours is too. You know, we are running a race. And this imagery is found much in the New Testament. Uh, Hebrews. Uh, let us lay aside every weight and sin which does so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. That's a Christian life. And so when Paul says, forgetting those things which are behind, he's talking about those things since he got saved as a Christian. And they can, they can be a stumbling block. Um, and so we are picking up the, this morning, we looked at the word gift and... Um, we looked at the idea of uh, salvation. And then and now, so the race is not over was the first part. In fact, you remember the first ver- phrase of verse 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. He wasn't there yet. He had not arrived. He had not achieved. He's, and he's still you know, seeking to lay hold of eternal life. He's still seeking in that Christian walk. As a believer, that's going to be the end goal. But he says, I count not myself to have apprehended, nor should we. In fact, one of the things, if you and I are going to get a grasp of this idea of how important it is to not look back in, in the certain contexts, how the back, when we, when we look back in this race, over the, the territory we've covered in this race, from the, the starting line until now, uh, it can cause us to stumble. It can, it can cause us to, to no longer run the race that is set before us. That's the focus. The race that is set before us, not what we've covered in the past. And that's the idea of this verse. When Paul says, I count not myself to have apprehended. And now let's pick up with it. That was the race is not over. That was this morning. And then tonight we're going to look at two, po- two points, hopefully, in the, finish this verse. And the second is the uh, verse 13, second part of the verse. But this one thing I do, I would say, this one thing we all must do, forgetting those things which are behind. So we talked about that. We picked up the the key to this text is the word forget. 
And we noted this morning that the word forget as a noun uh, simply means to lose remembrance. And, and we really focused on that. To cease to retain in one's memory. Um, the older we get, we start forgetting things. I gave an illustration this morning. Um, that's not what Paul's talking about, forgetting those things behind. He's not talking about memory loss. He's moving, he's more talking about this, the, the word forget as a verb. And that brings out the point that the ground covered is past. Um, the ground covered is past. Verse 13, this thing, one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. The Greek word that is used here, uh, many of you know the New Testament was written in Greek, translated in English. So Greek is important in the original language, the words that were used uh, to cover that. And, and so the word that was used uh, has two definitions, very much like the English does. The first one is simply to forget. You don't remember. You, you just, it's not coming in your mind. The second one is defined this way, uh, the Greek and the English actually very similar, not literal, but to neglect, to overlook, to care nothing about, or the idea is to disregard. So the, the idea of this phrase forget, forgetting those things which are behind, is, is again a purposeful neglect to stare in the rearview mirror, if I can use the terminology we've been using. Uh, and it, it literally is an act of the will. It's not talking about, you know, necessarily forgetting events or like blacking out when you're thinking about your Christian life. And, and folks, keep uh, this, there's a context here. Some things, we need to count our many blessings, answered prayer, the way God has demonstrated His grace. In that sense, we must never forget the past. In fact, we need to count our blessings, and it will surprise you. I love that song. It's so true, isn't it? Count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you over and over again what the Lord hath done. Problem is, when you forget counting your blessings, you forget what the Lord hath done. So that part we should not forget. But as far as the race, as far as the ground that's covered, any runner better spend his time looking ahead, no matter how much ground he's covered, no matter how far along he is on the race, he better keep his eye on the prize. And so the, let's talk about the English word forget as a verb. It means to cease or omit to think of. And, uh, and then in this, the uh, Oxford English Dictionary, it says this, in a stronger sense, to neglect willfully, to take no thought of, to disregard, to overlook. If you've ever told someone, would you just forget about it? That's the idea. You're not telling someone, would you get a memory loss and, and just never again have that memory in your mind? That's not, that's not what the idea of forget here. The idea of forget is, you're, with an act of your will, you are disregarding something. It's not that it, it slips your mind. In fact, you may never forget some of the events that would come up if you looked in the rearview mirror, as far as memory goes. But this idea of forgetting those things means with an act of your will, you are purposefully going to put them in the past. Past needs to be the past. There have been, uh, when I first went in the ministry, I have learned, so, <clears throat> when I first went in the ministry, 
as a young man, and this is true with all youth, I tend to react to things. And you probably did the same thing, you older folks. I tend to react to things. And I really, I spent a lot of time initially reacting to old people. Because they complained all the time. They worried all the time. And the more I become an old person, I've come to realize, wait a minute, you know what? These, in every stage of life, there are different challenges. And I failed to, you know, the Bible says, look not every man on, on their own things, but the things of others. Last week's message on consideration. I was not doing that. And I've come to realize that, you know what? God has the people in your life that are different than you because he wants to teach you from them. And if you just react or reject or arrogantly look down on other people, you are going to miss some of the things that God wants to teach you. You know, that time that I was like just, I could not get over people, the negativity, uh, I failed to realize that, you know what, these, these folks are in a new battle in their life. They're in a new battle. They have, they have different challenges, different anxieties that I knew nothing at as a young man. And, and I needed to give that more weight. I remember a couple. And, and this is now forever in my mind. I remember a couple. Not, this was when I first pastored in Lancaster. And this precious lady worried about everything. And if she could, didn't have something to worry about, she'd make something up. I mean, she just worried incessantly. And she complained and I remember just, you know, um, they lived, they, they, I don't think, they did not realize it, but they were living in the past. Because when they first got saved, and when they were a young couple, they served the Lord in, in a, a Christian ministry that they would talk about incessantly. And it was, a, it was a precious time in their life. It was a really blessed time. God used them. Uh, they heard some amazing preachers at this Christian place that they were a part of and they'd talk about it all the time and and it was very precious to them. They did not realize that they were staring in the rearview mirror and it came across as if they were living in the past. And now as a young man, you know, with different perspective, I remember thinking, you got to stop living in the past. God wants to use you now. And that's something that I, I will never... I thank God put that couple in my life because I can very much be like them and live in the past. And, and oh, the glory days. Oh, things were so much better. How about even in America? We can tell, oh boy, things in America used to be so much better. Oh, it's gotten so bad. You know, we, we can't cry over spilled milk. God wants us to press forward. And, and that's where our challenge is here. That's what Paul means. Forgetting those things which are behind. I've shared this illustration. I love this illustration. Clara Barton, the founder of the American Red Cross. I've, I've used this so many times. Hopefully you have it memorized and you'll remember it. Clara Barton one day was reminded uh, of a vicious deed that someone had done to her years before. And she acted as if she had never heard of the incident. And her friend said, her friend said, don't you remember it? And Claire Barton Barton said this. She said, no, I distinctly remember forgetting it. That's the key. She didn't forget the deed. 
Do we ever forget any of the negative things that happen to us? No, we dwell on them. We meditate on them. And so Clara Barton wasn't, when she was playing, playing ignorant, she was doing what Paul did. With an act of the will, she was purposely forgetting those things, disregarding them. It wasn't that she lost her memory of that violent, vicious deed that was done to her. But by an act of the will, she purposely remembered forgetting that. And, and folks, that's what Paul did. And we might need to do that too. Purposely forgetting something that happened to us. For, forgetting those things which are behind. I want to share tonight uh, a great example. And you're all familiar with the story of Joseph. Uh, Joseph in the Old Testament, in, in Genesis 37 through Genesis 50, uh, he was the 11th son of Jacob and the first of Rachel. Uh, he was 17 years old. He was a shepherd when we pick up with his story. And um, he was the favorite son of Jacob. In fact, Jacob loved him more than all of other, Joseph's other brothers. And his brothers hated him for it. They resented him. They could not even, they, they could not talk with him well. They could only say bad. They did not like Joseph at all. And he was somewhat naive because he was a dreamer. God had given him dreams and he would uh, maybe unwisely share those dreams, uh, which every, you know, so many of them were, uh, his dreams were imagery of how his brothers would someday bow down and worship him. You know, can you imagine being like a young brother and your young brother's like constantly telling you these stories about someday you're going to bow down and before him. I mean, that did not go over well and they, they hated him. And um, their hatred intensified with these dreams. And so when the, opp- the opportunity came when they were in Dothan and they planned to kill him, except for the intervention of Reuben, who tried to rescue uh, Joseph and persuade his brothers not to kill him. Uh, so they, they sold Joseph to a caravan of Ishmaelites going into Egypt. And from that moment forward, his life would forever change. The comfort that he knew, the love of a father, uh, the, the security, uh, his lifestyle would change radically forever. Um, he ended up becoming the beloved... Uh, Son to this, uh, his life was changed in a moment. I'm, I'm reading some notes I wrote down from being the beloved son to the slave in an unknown land in Egypt, and uh, and and God was still with him. In fact, he ended up in Potiphar's house, and God blessed Potiphar, who was a, a, a powerful leader in Egypt. God blessed Potiphar because of Joseph, and then as if as if he hadn't had enough bad knocks against him, Potiphar's wife tempted him. Joseph fled, causing her to make up a story that he had, uh, you know, pursued her or, or uh, had assaulted her, and he ended up in prison. That's amazing. So many things, quote unquote, went wrong in Joseph's life. And now, before we look at the main verse, that that just is the every Christian needs to be aware of this verse in Genesis 50, if you're not already, and most of you are. But let's go to Genesis chapter 41 first. Now we're going before this event, the culmination of of Joseph's betrayal from his brothers. That's in Genesis 50. The climax of the story, the 
the, the really phenomenal, uh, the way God turned things around on his brothers. But what about all that time? We, this morning we looked at 1 Thessalonians 2.13, uh, how Paul was rejoicing that when he went in and preached the gospel to the Thessalonians, they didn't receive it as a human message. They received it as it really was, the word of God. And then Paul said, which effectually worketh in you. In other words, that's written in the present tense. And it's still, it is working right now in you. And that's the thing we want to focus on. God is not done with you. He which began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Christ Jesus. If you've been born again, God is, and the Spirit of God is dwelling in you, God is working in you. It's, and His Word, it's, it's still working in you. God's Word never quits. And so Joseph, during that time where most people that have been done wrong during the years after the offense, being betrayed by your brothers who wanted to kill you, and but for the intervention of one brother, they would have killed you. And they sold you into slavery. You've never, you haven't seen your father since then. He thinks you're dead. He had, Joseph has no idea. Can you imagine during these years how Joseph could have done what so many people did and do? He could have nursed a grudge. He could have taken that time to stewed over how he was betrayed. He could have re-envisioned the hurtful things that his brothers did. He could have lived over and over again that day that they betrayed him and sold him into slavery because his life would never be the same. And he, he loved his parents. Think of how bitter he could have gotten. And by the way, there's a lot of people that are in that position. They've been done wrong and they just meditate on it. They just think on it. They relive it. And and. Instead of God's work, God's word being involved in their life, they have resisted the ministry of the Holy Spirit. They have failed the grace of God, and they have become bitter. And so here's a sign that during, during these transitional months and years that Joseph did not get bitter. Now in Genesis 50, we're going to realize, oh, he did not get bitter. And he, if he was bitter... It would have been a very different story. But look at this gem in Genesis chapter 41 and verse 51. It's, it's sharing the story of Joseph and his, his children. And it says, Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. Isn't that awesome? Manasseh. Say, uh, I guess that's not a bad name. What's the big deal? It's what it means. Manasseh means causing to forget. And look what it says. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God said he, this was his testimony, God hath made me to what? Forget all my toil and all my father's house. You see, Paul wasn't the only one forgetting those things which are behind. Joseph, named his firstborn after the lesson that God was teaching him, Manasseh, because God made me forget all my toil. Now, by the way, just so you think, it's not that God like blessed Joseph and 
took his brain cells of that event and like removed them. So he's like, what happened in Egypt? I, I, I don't remember. It's just a blank to me. Those years, I, I don't remember what happened. I've got amnesia for the... That's not what he's saying when he said it caused me to forget. Because he said, God hath made me to forget what? All my toil. So it wasn't that, you know, there was this amnesia that he just forgot about it. He is, he's using the term forget in the verb, the stronger, more intense way. He chose not to regard it. And God did that. I don't know how bad you've been hurt. But no matter what's happened in your past, no matter how much you've been hurt, no matter how much you've been let down, God wants you to forget it, to not, to not, not, not that you won't ever, you know, I won't remember it anymore and then I'll be happy. Some people live like that. I'll forget about it when, when God wipes my memory free. No, you have, by an act of your will, you've got to stop looking back and press forward. Forget those things which are behind. And, and some of you may need to do that. I, I met so many people that are stuck in the past. Many have stopped going to church. Many have stopped, the, the, you know, gave, given up on the Lord because of either perceived or genuine hurts. What has happened to them? And so because of it, uh, they're, you know, they're maybe blaming God. But I love this. Manasseh, causing to forget. He is telling us, God gave me grace so that I'm not living in the past with all those bad deeds that my brothers did. And, and that will be tested in a few years. In Genesis chapter 50, whether he really did forget or move on from it, we use that idea. In fact, that's how I want you to think of it. It's not God, it's, again, it's not that God is saying it won't ever pop into your mind. Sometimes Satan will throw those fiery darts and it might be a memory of something that just won't go away because he's trying to work on you, maybe to get you bitter at someone. So he's going to bring that. He's so faithful to do that. You know, we, we always give Satan credit for some things, which are his. You know, like, for example, when you're trying to do your devotions at night or in the morning, start reading the scriptures, and all of a sudden your mind starts spacing out. Or all of a sudden you start falling asleep. I, isn't that amazing? I think the devil might have something to do with that. You know, helping us with that. Because he doesn't want us reading the scriptures. And it's very real. Well, you better believe that he's going to use his fiery darts to throw things at you from your past to get you stop looking forward and looking past. The fiery darts. He doesn't, you know, God wants those fiery darts quenched. He doesn't want them fulfilled and meditated on. Now, Genesis 50. Let's go to the culmination here. Genesis 50. Oh, by the way, while you're turning there, let me finish reading the second verse of where we just were. In Genesis 41 and verse 51, um, or verse 52, it says, And the name of the second. So his firstborn he called Manasseh, causing to forget. For, he, for God said, He made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. And then verse 52, And the name of the second called he Ephraim, which means fruitfulness. Here's the key. Paul, it was imperative that he not look back, either, either on the bad experiences, the pain, or even on his accomplishments. Remember, we're talking about a runner in a race. And, and sometimes as a runner in the race, it might be very common or, or natural for you to look back, maybe to see who's behind you, or just to get a look at the landscape and see how far you've come. 
And there might be a place for that once in a while. But if you're going to be running a race, you better not be spending much time looking at the, the ground that's been pe- covered. Because you, you want your eyes to be straight on because that's where you're heading. And you've got more ground to cover. And there's people that are no longer covering ground because something happened in their past. And they gave up. Don't give up. Don't. And so now we fast forward in the future. And here Joseph has become the most power, one of the most powerful men in Egypt. And because of his blessed uh, dreams that got him in trouble with his brothers, he was able to anticipate something that was going to happen in Egypt. There was going to be seven years of, of abundance, and then there was going to be a long famine. And because of this dream, Joseph was able to tell Pharaoh, and they were able to prepare during those, those bountiful years and store up because they knew there would be seven years to follow. And because of that, everything changed, not just in Egypt, but all the lands around it. And over those seven years of famine, people, their, their, their livelihood, their, their crops died. They became poorer and poorer and more hungry. And pretty soon, word passed around that there were stores of abundance of food in Egypt. If you want to get by, you want to live, you've got to go to Pharaoh because he's got storehouses and it, that's your only way to live. What a... What a what an amazing turnaround, how God is in charge, orchestrating these things. And his brothers who were so arrogant and condescending towards Joseph would make that trek, as encouraged by their father, to spare their family's life. Go get provisions in Egypt so we don't die here. And so his brothers made their way. Imagine that journey. They had no idea that the answer to their food only one thing would stand in the way and it was the brother they sold into slavery and when 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 they came to egypt i just love this moment if there's anything if there would be ever be anything that was videotaped in the old testament i would want it to be that moment when joseph's brothers came in and didn't recognize joseph he's old now an older man and Joseph realized it was his brothers. I, would, I, just, I want to see the facial expressions. I want to see a close-up on Joseph's face as he suddenly realizes, those are my brothers. Maybe even a little glimmer of, huh, this is my chance. You know, I could get them back. Just imagine this whole thing. But remember, the, the word of God which effectually worketh in us, still at work, was still at work in Joseph. And just like the man whose son went off to World War II, and he, he would, even before his son died, he began to hate the Japanese. God had to work on him even before his son died. And so God had to work on Joseph. The word which effectually worketh in you worked in Joseph. So that when he had this great opportunity for vengeance, he said this. And again, it's just wouldn't you wouldn't you love to see the video of it? You know, we're very visually oriented. And, and when all of a sudden, when he revealed himself, and his brothers realized it was Joseph, I want to close up on all those brothers' faces. I want to see that you know they were 
just very humbled. And I love what Joseph says in verse 20, Genesis 50 and verse 20. First, he says, fear not. And boy, that's a sign. Something's going to come out. Boy, this man is not bitter. Oh, he could have been bitter. Oh, he could have said, I will never forgive you. I will never forget what you did. And, and many bitter people do that. He didn't say that. He says, but as for you, look at it. Verse 20 is amazing. But as for you, ye thought evil against me. All right, Joseph, just stop right there and park on that. Those dirty, low-down brothers intended evil for you. How's that make you feel, Joseph? Hey, Joseph, just, just share your feelings about that. No, he didn't do that. He didn't dwell on it. Because his thought was parked in the next statement. Ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good. See, here's the victory. Joseph wasn't looking behind. He forgot those things which are behind. And he was pressing forward. He's reaching forth. And he knew that even the things that are bad in our life, God intends to use them for good. Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good. Not our good. Work together for good. And so, as they work together, that means don't be looking at what happened in the past. Be looking how God resolves it and works it for His glory. And that's what Joseph did. Can you believe that? I just, I love this. Oh, that the thousands, tens of thousands of people that have become bitter over the years and ended up just lashing out, maybe the mass murderers, the people that go out and just kill people because they're just so filled with anger. If they had only first come to know Christ understood the grace of God and come to know the goodness of our God and had the effectual working of the Word of God, things would have been so different. That's what Paul meant in Romans 12 and verse 21 when he said, Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Many of you know the story of Corrie Ten Boom. Her family resided, uh, resisted rather the Nazis by hiding Jews in their home at a time when, when Hitler's uh, Nazis were exterminating them. Uh, they were uh, ultimately, Corrie Ten Boom's family was discovered and they were sent to a concentration camp. Corrie barely survived until the end of the war. Her family members died in captivity and this, this terrible trial by fire was seared in her brain. But one other thing survived besides Corey, her faith in God. And so she spent much of her time post-war traveling Germany and elsewhere in Europe sharing her faith in Christ. And this, she relates this story in uh, the place, uh, her book called The Hiding Place. On one occasion in 1947, Corey was speaking at a church in Munich, and she noticed a balding man in a gray overcoat near the, near the rear of the basement room. She had been speaking on the subject of God's forgiveness. But her heart froze when she saw that bald man and she recognized who he was. She could still picture him as she had seen him so many times before in, her blue, in his blue Nazi uniform with a visored cap. He was the cruelest of the guards at the Ravensbrück camp where Corey had suffered the most horrible indignities and where her own sister Betsy died. And yet there he was. At the end of her talk, 
He came up the aisle toward her with his hand thrust out. And he said, he said, thank you for your fine message. How wonderful it is to know that all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. Yes, Corey had said that just minutes before. She had spoken so easily about God's forgiveness, but here was a man who she despised and condemned with every fiber of her being. And he's reaching his despicable hand out to her. She couldn't take his hand. She couldn't extend forgiveness to this Nazi oppressor. And she realized that this man didn't even remember her. How could he remember her among thousands of prisoners? He said, you mentioned Ravensbrook, the man said. His hand still extended. He said, I was a guard there, and I'm ashamed to admit it, but it's true. But since then, I've come to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. He said, I've struggled with the cruel things that I did, but God has forgiven me. And, and then he said this, and he said, please, if you would, I would like to hear from your lips, too, that God has forgiven me. And she wrote in her book her response. I'm just going to read it. So here she is. Just imagine, imagine this. And this is a Joseph situation multiplied. She says, I stood there. I whose sins had again and again been forgiven and could not forgive. It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out. But to me, it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I have ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. It was as simple as, as, and as horrible as that. And still, I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out one. Now mechanically, there was no heart in here. This was like, this was an act of obedience that she was fighting with every fiber of her being. But remember what the Bible says? Forgive others as Christ forgave us. It's not a matter of, do, well, do you feel forgiveness? Wait till you feel forgiveness, then you can do it. No. She knew she had just talked about forgiveness. God had forgiven her. And so, in obedience to Christ, she obeyed, reaching out her hand. And listen to what she says. And as I did, as I reached my hand to shake his, and as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder. We had a message on uh, energy. And, and this, this would not be the kundalini force of the New Age movement. This is the energy of Almighty God. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arms, and and sprang into our joined hands. And then, this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried, with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. Isn't that amazing? You know, our God is so good. But we don't get these moments by looking back, by living in the past, by reliving the pains and nursing the grudges. We only get them by forgetting those things which are behind. And now we get to our last point. 
The prize that is ahead needs to be our focus. Look at Philippians 3.13. Again, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark. I want you to go to one verse. I know I have five minutes left, and I'm going to try and cram in. I got like 10 minutes of stuff. I'm going to try and cram it into five minutes if I can, maybe six minutes. You all good with that? Okay. My wife says, just go. All right. Let's, uh, let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 16. I have a dear, dear brother, dear friend of mine. I love this man deeply. Uh, he preached at our church when we first started. We have a picture of him helping us clean those old wooden slatted chairs that were donated from uh, Bible Presbyterian Church in, in Chester, I think. We got these old rickety wooden chairs. So those of you that were part of our church back then, you remember sitting on those uncomfortable chairs? It was, it was not fun. Uh, and, and I still have a picture of this dear, dear friend of mine who became a missionary in Ireland for 19 years. And I, he, he just, we only get together once every couple of years. But he's always given me scriptures that just bless my heart. And recently we got together. And, uh, and he shared with me, because he, he had some really difficult experiences on the mission field. And he shared with me this, this passage. Look at 1 Samuel 16 and verse 1. I do, we're just jumping in. I'm not even going to give you all the background and all that. Well, maybe we'll preach on this sometime. But in verse 1, it says, The Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul? You see, Saul, Samuel was having a pity party. Because Samuel was, was Saul's minister as, the, as a king of Israel. And, and, and had born, you know, formed a bond. And he was, he was God's representative. He would give, give Saul God's message. And the fact that Saul disqualified himself from being a king, and Samuel was just, he was just hurt. He was wounded. He was defeated. And he was just sitting there mourning. And God says to him, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul? I.e., how long are you going to look in that rearview mirror? Because this whole thing with Saul, that's in your past. And you're sitting there, You're just looking in the rearview mirror. How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Maybe that was the thing that helped Samuel. Listen, Samuel, this is not about you. I have rejected him. I've rejected him. And and then he said, fill thine horn with oil and go. He's saying, "Would would you stop looking back? Just stop it. You're just sitting there mourning. How long, how long are you going to do that? You're wasting your time. Get up, anoint your head with oil, and press on. I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. Folks, while our past has its place, counting our blessings, thinking back to answered prayer, thinking of, of souls that got saved and things that happened, there's a place for that. But please remember, our work is ahead of us. Whatever blessings are behind, whatever challenges are behind, our work is ahead of us. And we've got to trust God for what He's doing. I want to close with this personal testimony. that I've shared part of this, but recently I came across a letter that I forgot about in this story. Many of you know that when I was a young boy, I mean really young, I was, I was one month away from turning 17. And I had a summer job the last previous few summers when school was out. 
I worked at the church where my mom and dad's funeral was, St. Simon and Jude. Uh, I worked as a, a janitor, me and a, a dear friend named Chris, Chris Thompson, who I saw at my dad's funeral viewing. It was such a blessing to see Chris. Chris and I worked polishing floors. You ever do those? You ever see those big floor polishers? There was a Christian, there was a you know Catholic parochial school there, and we would you know the whole summer we just we basically were just stripping the, the floors and doing maintenance. And I'll never forget. August, that, the week of August 22nd, 1979, Chris was going to take the week off on vacation. And I asked my, my boss, Mr. Egan, if my best friend at the time, John Martin, could come and fill in for Chris for two days. And he said, sure. And I remember how excited we were. John and I were going to hang out. He's going to get to work with me. And on that second day, the Wednesday, August 22nd, and John was 16. I was 16, going to be 17. We walked down the hallway of, the, of the, the classrooms, and there were some skylights up in the middle, and we saw one of the skylights had had a hole in it, and somebody had patched it with a piece of plastic that had blown off. So there's this hole, and we knew that it was going to rain that night. Now, you know, Mr. Egan, my boss, wasn't there. Uh, we had done everything we needed to do. It was at the end of the day, and, and I thought, let's, let's go up there and patch that thing because it's going to rain tonight so we got a ladder went up on that thing found all these little super balls remember super balls little rubber things like from the playground of the school like there were a million super balls so you know this was towards the end of the clock so you know we, we knew so we had we had a little fun and we're passing super balls back and forth and, and then we finally got we had some plastic we had some tape and we got around that that skylight and we began to patch it and uh, John was, I think John was holding the plastic while I was putting the tape on. And he was le- kneeling on one knee. And he went to shift knees. And he put his hand on the skylight to, to, to um, you know, to uh, alleviate his pressure. And the skylight gave way and John fell through. And he plunged headlong, hit the, hit the floor. And I still can remember looking down from the ceiling, down on the ground. And there was John. He had blood coming out of his ears. He was moaning. And, and I just, from that day on, uh, John's world would change forever, and so would mine. I remember getting down off the ladder, running up to the, the rectory, uh, telling the secretary, Pam, call 911. In fact, she was at my dad's funeral and my mom's funeral. And we were talking about that. And I said, was there even 911 back then? She said, oh, yes, there was. You remembered. And so, the un, you know, John was in a coma for several months. And eventually, he ended up coming out of the coma. CHOP Hospital, Children's Hospital, Pennsylvania, were phenomenal. Back in 1979, they just, they were so awesome. They're still awesome. Um, so I remember that. I remember that time. We, we had some fundraisers for John, and John came out of the coma, but he had serious brain damage. It would be like a person that you know that we used to use the word retarded, mentally challenged. That John was very affected, serious brain injury. And, uh, and, and many friends rallied around John. And then we got on with our life. You know, you, you lose contact with high school friends, and we lost touch. And then years later, I contacted my best friend, and Bill, and, and we said, you know what, I've been thinking about the Martins, and I felt like we got to go see John. I knew he was living in an assisted living place and then coming home on the weekends. But here's what I struggle with for years i have what's called survivor's guilt apparently i kept thinking 
It was my decision to go up and patch that roof. It was my decision to ask John to come and work with me. And I thought, and and I'd been a pastor for years at this point, and I've met so many bitter people in life that I just automatically assumed Mrs. Martin must hate my guts. I mean, she showed nothing but love in those first few years. But I really was convinced, and I really, I was scared to death to go back. Not, not to see, I, I have no problem seeing John. I, I knew what John was. But I was so scared that she had started resenting me. I was just counting on it. And when we got there, and we first saw her, she had nothing but love for me. And I, and I shared that with her. I, I shared how I'd been scared to death that she was going to resent me. And I just came across, I did not know that she wrote a letter to me at that time. She passed away several years ago. And I just within, just within the last month or two, I think, I came across this letter from Mrs. Martin during that time. After I'd asked her, you know, you're not bitter, and she wanted to assure me, listen to what she said. This just blesses my heart. We'll close with this. She said, Dear Steve, I just want to tell you that I never felt any bitterness toward you for the day that John fell. Bitterness serves no purpose. Life happens, and you just have to accept and get on with it, which is what we tried to do. Get on with helping John to make the best recovery he could. I do not dwell on what if. There's Philippians chapter 3, is it not? Forgetting those things which are behind. I do not dwell on what if. I did have a brief moment of what if. What if I had not let him go to work at the school? So she struggled with what I struggled with. She struggled with, you know, I shouldn't have let him go. She said, but that too serves no purpose. Do you hear the wisdom of that? Life happens, and it doesn't come with a guarantee. We need to make it the best life we can. I appreciate all your prayers. I know they helped John to survive the injury and continue recovering. And here's where she, she presses on. She said, we have met some wonderful people that we might never have come into our lives otherwise. People who really cared for John. Therapists, attendant caregivers, other families dealing with the same injury of their family members. Keep those prayers coming. Barbara Martin. And and her family, because of what happened to John, started all these uh, Pennsylvania Head Injuries Foundations and other communities to help other families go through the same thing to navigate the healthcare systems all because of what happened and it just remind me you know what god means for evil or what people mean for evil god means for good what the devil means for evil god means for good so now for you for me stop looking back okay count your blessings you can look back then and then get your eyes forward and let's press toward the mark Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Help us, Father, to to apply these things. Help us to learn how to forget uh, and do exactly what Paul Paul did, uh, realizing none of us have arrived, uh, forgetting those things which are behind and pressing toward the mark. Lord, help us to lay aside every weight and to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Help us to forget. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.